Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to our series, Jesus. I've got a question, and uh, we're tackling some of the big questions of life, and what does the Bible have to say? Uh, Last week, we said, Jesus, who are you, or who is Jesus? Uh, But you know what? The good thing is, a lot of questions we ask, we can get immediate answers from just from Googling, right, or asking Siri, right? Is that true? I mean, uh, how many times do you ask Siri a question? I mean, probably all the time. And uh, in fact, I recently read an article this week about the top questions, top five questions people ask online or they ask Siri. And uh, I thought they were interesting. Number one is, uh, what time is it? All right. <laughs> Actually, that was number five. Number five, what time is it? Uh, number four was, how do I tie a tie? Bow tie for sure. I can totally get that one. All right. Number three was how to kiss. I didn't make this up, folks. Maybe around Valentine's Day that spikes, I'm not sure. All right. Uh, number two question was where am I? Yep, people are asking that. Number one question people ask Siri is how many ounces in a cup? All right. So there you have it. I, I, I have to admit, I think I've asked her that, that one question. So there are lots of questions that we can get immediate answers from, but, but the big questions, uh, not so much. In fact, there's one question that Siri cannot answer for you. Even if you ask her, it is probably one of the biggest questions you have to answer in your life. Every person has to wrestle with this question, and yet Siri is no good. In fact, let's just ask her right quick, Uh, this question. Uh, Hey Siri. Hey Siri. Why am I here? Mm, I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? All right. She doesn't have an answer for that. She can't help you with the question, why am I here? What is my purpose? Why do I exist on this planet? Listen, only Jesus can answer that question. Now, if I asked you that question, why are you here? I'd probably get a lot of responses. Some people uh, answer it based on kind of what they do. Well, I'm here to do a certain job, right? Or I'm here to accomplish a certain task. Some people answer it relationally. I'm here to be a good father or a good mother or a good son or daughter. Some people answer it more intrinsically, like I'm here to be happy or to experience happiness, But when you look to Jesus, Jesus answers that question very differently. In fact, if you were to look at the totality of Jesus' ministry and his messages, I think Jesus would answer that question this way. You are here to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to help other people do the same. That's why you're here. You know, some theologians say, well, you're here to glorify God. Okay, well, how do I glorify God? Well, I glorify God best by knowing Jesus, by following Jesus in every area of my life, and then helping other people to know and follow Jesus. That's really why you're here. Everything else is details. And so no matter what I'm doing, no matter what my job is, no matter what my station in life is or my season of life is, I'm here to know Jesus there. I'm here to follow Jesus there. And I'm here to help other people to know and follow Jesus too. And so that's what we're going to really talk about because we're going to see this right at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. So everybody get your Bible, open it up uh, to the gospel of John chapter 1. If you're visiting with us today, we open our Bibles here, all right? 
and we study uh, God's word together. In fact, I'm, I'm, in just a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to read a passage, and I like to say, this is the word of God, just to remind us that we're not reading just a book, we're reading the word of God. And those of you that are fired up like to say amen to that. That means, that's right, uh, we're for you, we're, that's right, that's the right statement. So just a little thought there uh, for just a minute, all right? Um, we're looking now at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Look at John chapter 1, verse 35. All right, this is the word of God. Uh, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by, and he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, stop right there for just a minute. Let me just kind of define some things here. In, in John 1, 35, the, the, the man John here, you might want to write in your margin of the Bible, is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a, a relative of Jesus. He was about six months older than Jesus. God had called him out to really be the last Old Testament prophet. His role was to point out the Messiah. So he was called often the forerunner. He would go in front of Jesus. Literally, it's cool if you chart their ministry, John would go to this region and then Jesus would follow behind him and he would get people ready and he would say, that's the Messiah. That's the one that's to promise to come. And so here is uh, John. He's already baptized Jesus. He is, uh, Jesus has gone into the wilderness for temptation. He comes back. John the Baptist points him out. There he is, guys. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist uh, was a prominent leader. He had a large following, and he did a great job of pointing out who Jesus really is. Now, before we get into it today, let me just make a little statement here. People come to Jesus in different ways. Uh, there's only one way to heaven, that's Jesus. Only one path to heaven, that's Jesus. But there are many paths to Jesus. In other words, people get to Jesus in all different kinds of ways. Uh, probably it's true in your life. Some of you came to Christ because you heard a preacher preach the gospel. Some of you came to Christ because your mother led you to Christ at your bedside as a young child. Some of you came to Christ because you had a crisis in your life and a neighbor uh, shared the hope of gospel with you. Some of you came to Christ because a friend in high school took you to a youth event and you came to Christ. We all have different ways, different ways that we get to Jesus, but almost every way involves a person that God used to lead you to Christ, right? Just think about your own story. There was somebody that God used in your life to lead you to Jesus. Now listen, that's who God wants you to be for somebody else. God wants you to be the person that helps lead someone to him. See, if your purpose in life, the reason why you're here is to know him and follow him and help others do the same, then God wants to use you to be the person, the man, the woman, that helps somebody else get to Jesus. And so in this passage here, we're going to learn how to do that. Jesus is the master teacher. Jesus is our ultimate example. We want to follow his example. And so Jesus is going to show us how to help people that are in our life come to know who Jesus is, all right? This is a very simple message, very practical message, all right? So get your paper out, your pen out, and I want you to jot these four things down that we're going to learn from Jesus' example. How do I help people come to know Jesus? Number one, write this down, invite people into your life. Invite people into your life. Now look at verse 37. 
Remember, John the Baptist just said, there he is, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Look at verse 37. The two disciples, that is disciples of John the Baptist, heard him say this and followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following, he asked them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day and it was about four in the afternoon. Now stop right here for a minute. The first two followers of Jesus are mentioned here in the Bible. The first two followers of Jesus. There are roughly 26 billion Christians on the planet today. Think about that. Think about the massive Christian movement over the generations, the numbers of people, the billions of people that come to follow Jesus. But if you were to rewind the tape all the way back to when it started, it started with these guys right here. These were the first two followers of Jesus. One was named Andrew. We're going to find that out in the next verse. And the other one is unnamed but he's John. He is the one that wrote the gospel of John. Now, he's so humble, right? He doesn't overtly state his name, but we know that it was uh, St. John, John the uh, disciple that, that uh, is of those, one of those two disciples. And so they go off and they, they trail after Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want? What are you looking for? They say, well, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. I want you to underline that phrase, come and see. And here's what that teaches us, that Jesus' ministry was primarily a relational ministry. When Jesus started his global ministry, he didn't start off with handing out tracts, he didn't start off with a whiteboard full of strategies of how he was going to get the word out, he didn't have a robust social ministry, a social media plan, he just had conversations, he just invited people to hang out with him. When he said, come and see, what he meant was, come hang out with me. Come spend time with me. Come, let's go hang out. Come, let's go grab coffee. Come, let's go grab lunch. Come, let's just spend the afternoon. I've got to run some errands. We want to hop in the car while we run errands. It was that kind of relational invitation to come and see what he was all about. You know, sometimes I wonder what that conversation was like. He said, well, come and see. So they go and hang out. We don't know what they said. But whatever he said, uh, they left, they're going, he's the one, right? Man, I, these are the nerdy things I think about, right? Like, what, what was that conversation like? Maybe he went something down like this. Well, we got some questions, Jesus. Jesus, I've got a question. It would have been perfect for our series, right? Um, I heard that the, the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Is that true? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, Jesus said, yeah, it's true. In fact, go uh, <laughs> figure, uh, I was actually born in Bethlehem. Well, you don't say. Really? Wow. What other question you got? Well, I, yeah, I got another question. I heard that it was supposed to be of the line of David. Is that true? Yeah, in fact, did you know that actually I can trace back my lineage all the way back to King David? I'm of the line of David. You don't say. Really? Well, here's a, here's a really hard one. Somehow, the prophets say that he's also going to come out of Egypt. How does he come out of Egypt? Well, you see, my mom and dad, when, they were, when I was a little boy, they actually took me to Egypt, and I stayed there for a couple of years, and then I came back. So actually, I'm out of Egypt. You've you got to be kidding me. What are the odds, right? I mean, I think they just kind of went through all these different fulfilled prophecies, and at the end of it, they're like, he is really the one. He's really the one. But I just love how all of this flows out of a conversation, right? Where Jesus is inviting them into his life so they see him and they get to know him 
and they get to discover who he is. Now listen, if you want to influence someone toward Christ, the best thing to do is not necessarily to barge into their world, but invite them into your world. To say, hey, why don't you come hang out with us? We're going going to watch the ball game tonight. What are you doing? Come over, hang out, watch the ball game. Uh, We're going to go to dinner tonight. Want to come and go to the dinner with us? Uh, Let's go grab coffee. Let's go hang out and just let them see the difference that Jesus is making in your life. Let them see the difference. The real tragedy is that most people that do not know Christ also do not know any real Christians that they respect or Christians that they see a difference in. That sure is sad, but it's true. When I talk to people that are far from God, they're like, I don't know any Christians. I don't hang out with any Christians, you know? And what they really need is somebody else that will just invite them into their life. I remember when uh, Liz and I were in college that we had this uh, couple, I've told you about them before, but we had this uh, couple that invited us into their life. We were in college. They were really old. They were like 30 or, or something like that. And, uh, and they invited us into their life and they just, we hung out with them all the time. I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how much time we spent at their house. I mean, we were there three, sometimes four times a week. We were eating at their table. We would hang out with them and play games in their living room. We'd help put their kids to bed. We ran errands with them. We saw them fight. Uh, we saw them make up. Uh, we saw them pray over decisions. We saw them work through just challenges of life. And and I cannot, I cannot tell you a quote that they said that changed my life. I cannot tell you a specific doctrine that they taught me. But I can just say that I have, was forever changed and still am forever changed because they just showed us what it looked like to love Jesus in very practical ways. That's what Jesus did. He said, come and see. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, he said, we love you so much that we share with you not only God's good news, but our own lives as well. So who are the people in your life that you're, you know they're, they don't know Jesus, you know they're far from God, but you're just saying, hey, come hang out with me. Come on, let's go do chores together. Let's go do errands together. Let's hang out the ball game together. Let's spend time together so that you can see the difference that Jesus makes. That's one way that you can influence people toward Christ is to invite people into your life. Come and see, come and see. Uh, Let me give you a second one, number two. You can see the potential in them. See the potential in them. Look at verse 40. It says, and Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. And his fir- he first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And, we, and he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. All right, so you get what's happening here? Uh, John and Andrew are hanging out with Jesus. They become convinced that he's the one. And so Andrew goes to his big brother, Peter, and he goes, man, I found the dude. Uh, you got to meet this guy. And, and he brings Peter to meet Christ. Now, here's what I want you to understand. That's how the Christian movement spread so rapidly. 
It spread because one person had an encounter with Christ, told somebody else, and brought them to have an encounter with Christ, and they knew somebody that had an encounter, and they just continued to share that, and it began to run along those relational lines. That's how the Christian movement spread. In fact, there's a Greek word for this, and the word is oikos. O-I-K-O-S, oikos, which literally is translated household. And so literally what would happen is within a family, you would see this happen. So we have a great example here. Andrew goes and gets his brother, Peter, and Andrew has an encounter and helps Peter have an encounter with Christ. So we would run along households where maybe the dad would get saved and then his household would get saved or a, a person would come to Christ and tell their, their spouse and so on. That's how it would it normally work within the family line. But oikos can also be translated in a broader context of just your, your network, your relational network. So it could be your neighbors or your coworkers or distant relatives. And, and so you see that in the next couple of guys, you're going to see how these guys introduce Philip, uh, a friend of theirs, a coworker of theirs to Jesus. And Philip goes and gets a friend of his from the same hometown. And so you see that it's constantly running along these relational lines. Now, the reason why I tell you that is this. The people that you are most likely to influence toward Jesus is not some random stranger. Now, you can obviously influence a random stranger, but you're more likely not to influence a random stranger, but somebody that's already in your relational network. So do you have any family members that don't know Jesus? Do you have any extended family members, cousins, aunts, uncles that don't know Christ? Do you have any uh, neighbors, any coworkers? Do you have... Um, do you have anybody uh, that, that, that's maybe a college roommate, right? Or uh, somebody you graduated from high school with that you haven't heard in a long time, but they're still in your network of friends. This is how the gospel most rapidly moves. So if, when you start to think, who is it that I could influence, start there, right? Because they're already in your oikos, they're already in your network of relationships. Now, it's interesting that when Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, Jesus goes, hey, awesome, I'm going to change your name, all right? You're not Simon, you're now Peter. That's a little weird, don't you think? Just slightly weird. If I introduce myself, hey, I'm Craig, you go, I, my name's Bob. No, you're not Bob, you're, you're Buddy. What? Call me Buddy? What? Why? Why would you do that? That's a little strange. What I think Jesus is doing is I think Jesus is seeing the potential in Peter. He's like, man, uh, yeah, I know Simon's your name, but you're, you're going to be a rock, man. You're going to be a rock. God, when, when God gets a hold of your life, you are going to be a solid rock. God's going to use you in this incredible way. And of course, we know that that did happen. It was Peter that went on to preach at Pentecost. It was Peter that took the gospel to Cornelius and through the Gentile line. It was Peter who wrote at least two books of the Bible overtly and, and probably was the, the information behind the gospel of Mark. We know that Peter was a rock in every sense of the word. Yeah, he put a sandal in his foot, in his mouth, you know, most of the time. But, but still, he was a rock, Right? And, and Jesus was just calling out this potential. And this is a great lesson for us. When, you are, when you're trying to influence someone toward Jesus, instead of telling them what they're not, tell them what they could be in Jesus. Man, I know you're, you're not really into Jesus right now, but if Jesus were to ever get a hold of your life, 
God could use you in such a powerful way that would make a difference in, in lives that we cannot count. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're casting vision, right? You're seeing potential. Hey, parents, this is a great little stop here for you. Are you calling out the potential in your children, not just in their sports, not just in their grades, but in their spiritual influence? Do you look at them and say, you know what? God's going to use you and, and in your, on your ball team or in your class, you have spiritual influence and that's going to last forever. That's your greatest influence. When they go to college, do you say, hey, now listen, uh, your greatest influence is what you, how you lead someone to Christ. Even when they get out of college, to remind them that your identity is not in your job your identity is not in your relationships. Your identity is in Jesus and how you influence people toward Jesus. Listen, you got to constantly create that potential, speak that potential into their life. I have a guy that I got to lead to the Lord several years ago. And uh, man, he's just growing. He's walking with God. He's, he's discipling guys in his neighborhood. He's having spiritual conversations with his daughter. He is uh, influencing people at his work in a just really bold way. And uh, we were together this week and we were kind of laughing about what he was like before he came to Christ because I would bug him about coming to church. I was like, man, come to church. He'd go, yeah, yeah, and he'd never show up. And this went on for years. And finally, he came to church on an Easter Sunday and his life was changed. He gave his life to Christ. He's never been the same. And we go, yeah, I had no idea how God would use you in such a profound way. Here's the thing. You want to influence people toward Christ? Say, come and see let them into your life, invite them into your life. And then when you do, talk about spiritual things and talk about what their life will be like when they do come to Christ. The difference he will make, the change that they will make because of him. That's what Jesus did. Let me give you another thing here. Uh, jot this down. Uh, number three, demonstrate what it means to follow Jesus. This is really good. Demonstrate what it means uh, to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus. Look at verse 43. The next day, uh, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and he found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the same hometown of Andrew and Peter. See the oikos there? All right. Now, they're going back home, and they're going back to the same hometown, and Andrew and Peter go, hey, well, we got this friend named Philip we grew up with. Jesus, you need to meet him. And so Jesus encounters Philip. And it, what's interesting here, I want you to underline in your Bible the words there, follow me. You see that in verse uh, 43, follow me. That's a very important phrase. This is Jesus' favorite invitation to people. Follow me, follow me. Jesus never forced or guilted anyone to following him. It was always an invitation. The Greek word akulutheo is the, is the word there. Follow me. It literally means to put your foot down where the other lets up. I remember a guy was telling a story about his dad was a big hunter. And uh, this man was, was a, the young child and, and they were, he and his dad were out hunting and they were in the thicket and the, and the little boy was scared. He said, dad, I'm scared. And the dad turned to him and he said, just put your foot where my foot lets up and you'll be fine. And so when the dad would lift up his foot, the son would put his foot right there and then right there. He literally was walking in his father's footsteps. That is exactly what follow me means, to follow Jesus. Now, when Jesus was alive on the earth, that had very pragmatic 
uh, application, right? I'm going to Cana, follow me to Cana, right? If I said, I'm going to Market Street, follow me, you would know what that means. You're not going, oh, what does that really mean? Follow me. No, it just means follow me to Market Street, right? But what does it mean to follow Jesus now when he's not physically, tangibly on the earth? How do we follow Jesus now? Let me give you two things to jot down. This is really super important. Number one, to follow Jesus means that Jesus is leading, not you. That Jesus doesn't follow you, you follow Jesus. Now, I know that sounds super pragmatic, but uh, I talk to a lot of Christians who go, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, but uh, I'm going to date this person. Jesus, I really hope that you would bless this relationship because I really think she's good looking or I think he's really cute and I'm going to date him even though I know your word says that's probably not a good thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway and God, I hope you'll bless that. Well, I'm leading, I'm, Jesus is literally following me and I want him to bless me in what I choose to do. Or I'm gonna take this job and Jesus, I hope that you'll bless this because this is what I wanna do and I've already done my analysis and this is what I wanna do. And, and many times we're just jetting off doing what we wanna do and hope that Jesus comes around behind us with a little blessing pixie dust and blesses us as we go. And that's just not how it works. When you die, you're not going to stand before yourself to give an account. You're going to stand before Jesus and give an account. That he's the boss. He's in control. And when we invite you into a relationship with Christ, what that means is that now Jesus is going to lead and I'm going to follow Jesus. So when Jesus says, I want you to go here, then I'm going to do that. If Jesus says, I want you uh, to be merciful here, then I'm going to show mercy. I'm, he says, forgive here. I'm going to forgive. He says, serve here. I'm going to serve because Jesus is leading. I am following. It also means that at the end of the day, my goal is to please Jesus by going the direction he's going. A lot of times people will say, well, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm like, really? Because I don't think the direction you're going right now in your life really matches up with that. And that goes over like a lead balloon, by the way, all right? <laughs> well, what are you talking about? You know, you can't be so judgmental. Hey, I'm, I'm not judging. I'm just observing. And I do have a Bible and I don't think that squares up with the direction you're going. And yet you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not, you're going in a direction that he's not leading. So you're not a follower of Jesus. You know, you know what, it, what it's called when you go a direction that Jesus is not leading? There's a Bible word for that. It's called sin, right? And we have to acknowledge that and say, Jesus is not leading that, and I'm going to repent, I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And none of us are perfect, right? And there are a lot of times we get off course. And a lot of times we choose to go directions that we shouldn't. And, and the Holy Spirit convicts us of that. And then we, we repent from that and we turn. But, but we choose to follow Jesus. Let me ask them, are you following Jesus? The, the lost people in your life, they need to see someone that's desperately working to follow Jesus, that really wants to follow Jesus, that wants to put Jesus first. Maybe a, a very practical way that you can follow Jesus is simply this, ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what is my next step? What is my next step? 
I, I, I dare you, all right? You hear this from the pulpit, right? I dare you to ask Jesus this week that question. Jesus, what is my next step? Because I guarantee you, he'll tell you. He may say, well, you know, you need to start reading your Bible, all right? Then I'm following Jesus by reading my Bible. Or you need to get in community. Or you need to get into worship. Or you need to reach out to that person. Or you need to, uh, you know, change the things you're looking at online. Or you need to watch uh, the things that you're speaking in your heart, in your mouth, or, or whatever the thing may be. I don't know what it is, but I know Jesus knows. And if you will ask him, Jesus, what is my next step? And then you do that, guess what you're doing? In that moment, you are choosing to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus invited uh, Philip to, was this following relationship. The people that are far from God around you need to see that you're seeking out and trying to follow Jesus in every area of your life. So how do I influence people toward Christ? If, if my purpose, the reason why I'm here is to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and help others do the same, how do I influence people that do not know Jesus to him? Number one, I invite them into my life. Number two, I see the potential in them. Uh, number three, I demonstrate what it means to follow Jesus. Here's the last one. I, I engage the questions. I engage the questions. Look at verse 45. I love this. Verse 45. If you're with me, say amen. Uh, Philip found Nathanael and told him, uh, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Here it comes. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, Nathanael asked him. Well, come and see. There it is again, that phrase again. Uh, Philip answered, then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. So I guess he decided to come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Here's the second question. Well, how do you know me? Nathanael asked him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe? Because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. Uh, you will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, now you gotta love Nathaniel. I love Nathaniel. He's, he's cranky a little bit. He's, he's gruff. Uh, he tells it the way it is. You know where you stand with Nathaniel. He's, he's almost rude at times, uh, but uh, he has an encounter uh, with Jesus and he has a lot of questions Philip comes to him and says, man, we found the Messiah. And his first question, there are two questions he asks. First question he asks is, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Which, which is a great question because Nazareth is just a know-nothing town, right? I mean, it was just a dirty, know-nothing town. I can understand this perfectly. I grew up in West Texas in a little place called Plainview, all right? Anybody know where that is? All right, God bless you. Thank you. My people. Now, 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 Plainview was in a county that was dry. Now, y'all probably don't know what that means, but that means you couldn't buy alcohol in the county at that time. But next to it was another county that was wet. That meant you could buy alcohol there. And the closest town to Plainview in that other county was a town called Nazareth. Ain't lying. 
And so when, when we were in high school and some guys are going to go buy alcohol, they would always say, I'm going to go to the Holy Land, right? <laughs> and they would make a Holy Land trip. So every time, hey, but when we say we're going to the Holy Land, like, we're like really going to the Holy Land, all right? But anyway, and, and still today, Nazareth in the Panhandle is about 300 people. I mean, it's, a, it's just dirt and a handful of people and that's it. And so I can relate to that. Can anything great come out of Nazareth? I mean, that's about the same size it was back in Jesus' day. No, I mean, really, you know. And now I tell you, Philip could have really taken offense to this, right? I mean, we found the Messiah from Nazareth. He goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you know, Philip could have gotten all upset. Well, man, just forget it. You know, you're always so grumpy, you know, you know forget you and, and walked off in a huff. But he doesn't do that, does he? What does he do? He goes, well, just come and see. Come on, Nathaniel, I know the way you are. Don't be so jaded. Don't be so negative. Don't be an Eeyore. Just come and see, would you please? And so off they go. Listen, uh, he finally gets to Jesus and he asks a second question. Jesus goes, there's a guy. Now there's an Israelite that's the real deal. There's an Israelite that's not, not trying to impress people. There's an Israelite that'll tell you the way it is. And then Nathaniel asks the second question. How do you know me? Now, you don't know me. How do you know me? She goes, oh, I know you. I saw you under the tree. I saw you under the tree when you were thinking about Genesis 28, where Jacob's ladder goes up to heaven and the angels coming up and down and you're thinking in your mind, how in the world does heaven come to earth? How does heaven get to earth? He said, I saw you there. And he's like, whoa, you really are. Man, you're, you're the guy, man. You're the, you're the king of Israel. And Jesus is like, man, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> you think that's great? Uh, come join my team. And you will find out what it's about. See, the cool thing is that the questions were not off-putting. They just leaned into them and said, come on, let's find out. When you engage with people at work, people in your oikos, in your frame of reference, that, and they don't know Jesus, they're going to come up with questions. Some of the questions are going to be snarky. Some of the questions are going to have a barb to it, an edge to it. Uh, some of the questions are going to be real and sincere and honest. Just stay with them and just say, well, come and see. Let's find out together. Let's search it out together. Let's keep pressing into Jesus. These were the first five men to follow Jesus. John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel. The whole Christian movement started with these first five men. All of them found Jesus in different ways. John and Andrew found him through a preacher. Peter found him through his brother. Nathan and Philip found him through a friend and coworker. They all came to Jesus in different ways, but there was always somebody there helping them come to know Christ. And that's what Jesus wants for you. God wants to use you in somebody's life to help them come to Jesus. There are people in your oikos, there are people in your relational network, there are people in your family right now that God's put you there for this very reason. And why do you exist? To know Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to help those people do the same. A minute after you step into eternity, nothing else will matter but that. Nothing else will matter but that. It's interesting, John, the, the apostle here, he went on to be, write five books in the New Testament, uh, died as an old man, Grandpa John in Ephesus, wrote the Gospel of John for us. Um, Andrew uh, went to preach the Gospel uh, in Greece, died on a cross that was shaped like an X. It's now called the St. Andrew's Cross. It's found on Scotland's national flag. Uh, 
Um, Philip and Nathaniel went to modern-day Turkey uh, in the area just east of that where they died martyr's death sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, Peter died in the Colosseum in Rome, crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner that Jesus died. But each one of these men changed the world. The Christian movement came out of these five guys because Jesus reached out to them. Listen, God wants you to be that person in somebody's life. No telling how the world will change if you will just reach out to your five. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Would you think for just a moment in the stillness of this, these few minutes here, think for a moment, who are your top five? Who are the five people in your life, maybe people you work with, Maybe it's friends, relatives, neighbors, people you used to know, people you used to go to school with. Who are the people in your life that God's put you in their life for this reason? You exist here. God left you on this planet to know him, to follow him, and to help those people come to know him. I want you to ask God to help you reach out to them, invite them into your life. Show them what it means to how you're following Jesus. Speak potential into their life. Have those spiritual conversations. Father, I thank you for the, the word of God. Thank you that it constantly stretches us and challenges us, God. Lord, it's just so easy to go through our week and think about us and what we need and to miss completely the people you put around us that desperately need the hope of the gospel. So Lord, open our eyes to the people you put in our life. We're here so that they can know you. Lord, help us to invite them into our lives and Help us see the potential in them. Lord, help us show them what it means to follow you and, and to wrestle with the questions they have and constantly invite them to you, Lord. Nothing else really matters. So Lord, give us the courage to write those names down this week and to take action toward it. Lord, we love you. We worship you now. We pray this in Christ's name.